Hello and welcome to this latest edition of the Powder Blue Podcast. Phillies win five in a row and then they lose two in a row to the Atlanta Braves. Big highs, but some pretty big lows this weekend. Frank Close here along with Jeff Mosher and Susie Hunter. And uh, let's face it, this this Atlanta Braves series was not what the Phillies ordered. Dude, is this where I start talking about Hector Neris or or do we not start off like that? Do we do we focus on five out of their last seven or W's or? <laughs> well, that, that's that's part of the problem here, right, Jeff? You know, it's like we, the the low seems so much lower than the high of the five wins. Would you say that that's fair, Susie? I mean, we definitely saw the best of the Phillies and the worst of the Phillies, but I'm just happy to see that they won five in a row after struggling to win two in a row for so long. So let's I'm going to take what I can get. That's kind of like my motto when it comes to the Phillies. Yeah, the first yeah. games the Phillies won in a row since really the first series, first series <laughs> of the year, right, as they went from game three to game four. Finally, some some wins in a row. But, you know, that the. the the way that the Phillies lost, so, well, so we got to break down this weekend, right? Because that, that seems to be what's on everybody's mind. I'm seeing on Twitter here today, Tuesday morning, that people needed the day off yesterday from the Phillies. So they, I needed the day off from the Phillies yesterday, right? So, uh, but the 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 lows seem particularly low. Now let, let's let's talk Saturday first, right? Because the Phillies seemed like they had this in the bag, really strong pitching performance until. Oh, <laughs> Two outs in the ninth inning. Enter the protector, baby. Yeah, enter Hector Neris. Uh, well, look, here's the thing. Two, two, two major mistakes here, right, Jeff? So for, first, you walk. You walk someone. You can't walk somebody with two outs in the ninth. Period. Period. Right. I Correct. mean, the fact that you're up two. If that guy dinged you for a home run, even if you went after him, then at least you still have the lead, right? Right. Then the worst pitch calling ever. Oh, and two to Pablo Sandoval. I, you know. Jeff, I know you have have strong opinions on Hector Neris, but, you know, uh, Joe Girardi after the game seemed to, to indicate there's some sort of joint responsibility there with with JT Romuto and Hector Neris for calling that pitch. No, I, I totally agree. I'm not going to be that hard on Hector because, you know, every closer has a blow and save a month, uh, even the great ones. So he's not a great one, but I'm just saying that, you know, I, I expected at one point that there's going to be an implosion, but you make a great point and I don't understand this because JT is considered one of the better catchers in baseball, but there's literally just one pitch at this stage of, of Pablo Sandoval's career that he's going to hit. And that's the meatball down the middle. And it was a one, two pitch. And what Hector does great is throw the splitty on one, two and make guys like Sandoval chase. And the fact that that thing was left up in the middle. Now that's what I kept thinking. Did JT really call for that? Cause you know, if I'm sitting at home, thinking there's the, the only pitch you don't throw this guy is right down the middle. And that's what they call for. That's so egregious that I have a hard time thinking that that was the call, but it did, it did seem like Girardi made that mention that, that JT, you know, didn't, didn't call for Hector to get beat on his best pitch. You get, you know, if he, if he throws a splitty and it hangs a little bit and Sandoval is able to just hold on and hit it out. Well then, you know, you tip your cap and say, that's unfortunate, but, like when that guy can only hit one pitch and you gave him that one pitch to hit, that's inexcusable. Yeah, really Sandoval of this career. That's literally all he can do. Like, like I, I, I feel like the moment that I saw it exit Neris's hand, like I knew exactly what was going to happen. Right. So, so I don't know. I don't know if you felt the same way in that moment, Susie, but that, I, I was just dumbfounded. 
Yeah, I mean, but also, I mean, keep in mind, the Phillies have played like 17 games in 17 days, and a lot of those games have really worn out the bullpen. So, I mean, it was kind of like a ticking time bomb, I feel like. Like, something like this was bound to happen. Now, now you, you, you say it was bound to happen, so check this out. So Scott, Scott Lauber's got a really good piece today in the Philadelphia Inquirer. I, I really recommend everybody checks it out. But, uh, but he has some numbers here. So if you look at the, the period since Hector Neris was named, named a closer and and Lauber even says, yeah, it was in 2017 because he's the best option on a 96 loss team. But how about this conversion rate? He's converted 81.7% of his safe chances since 2017. And the two comps that he gives, Josh Hader, Mark Melanson. So it, it, is hmm. that good enough, Jeff? That's that's really like the spectrum of closers there, right? Hader is this like fireballer who had an amazing year. Dang, the Phillies may have caught the Brewers at the right time last week with no Yelich, and I don't know what's going on with Hader. But, you know, Melanson, is that a great comp? I mean, he's certainly been a guy who's been totaling saves throughout his career, but he seems to be on a new team every single year. Look, 81.7, I, I always kind of – I don't want to say I bristle at those type of stats. I just – I feel like it's, it's you know, you, you go through closers and there are guys who have 30 saves a year for two or three – four years. And then you never hear of them after that. It doesn't, the conversion rate thing doesn't really blow me away. I don't know how many, what the situations were. Was he facing the seven, eight, nine in 60% of those, um, you know, opportunities or was he facing good batters? How did he have a three point? I would love to know his three run lead conversion compared to his one run lead conversion. Cause the bottom line is the numbers can always look good for a closer, but you want to know, can this guy get the job done in the playoffs? Trevor Hoffman is one of the greatest closers, of all time statistically, but he choked in the playoffs. He choked in the all-star game. Like he was not a big game closer. Now I'm not, there's not, there's only one Mariano Rivera. I'm not trying to say that every closer has got to use Mariano as your, as your standard bearer there, or else you're not good. But at the end of the day, when the Phillies, we expect the Phillies to be a championship team again. Do we really think that Hector Neris is going to be the closer who can get the job done? I've, I've always felt he's a lot like Armando Benitez similar stuff even and Armando was a guy who could get you 30 saves a year for many years he was a pretty good closer but he was always blowing big games so you know the numbers don't really mean that much to me by the way Josh Hader 3-0 0 0.71 ERA only didn't enter the game against the Phillies because they were holding him out for a save situation he didn't pitch from May 2nd through May 7th they were all days Josh Hader did not pitch so so Susie then what what do the Phillies even do? Like, I, like, I think if you look at this past off season, there's really no, like, I mean, really, even there are there, I can I think, I think it's even a bigger question to ask. Are there any like lockdown closers these days? Like you used to remember of old where every team seemed to have a Billy Wagner or a um, Mariano Rivera. What more could the Phillies do? I mean, yeah, that would be nice to find some kind of closer, but it does look like the Phillies have been making moves this week. They signed, they signed a, a minor leaguer. We've got a new outfielder. That I missed. Oh, here, hold on. I'll, let me <laughs> let me pull it up. So it's Ryan Cordell. Uh, they signed him to a minor league contract. So the good thing about him is, I know I totally like took your pitching thing and like took it in a different direction. So he's played every position in the outfield a little bit at some point as a pro. So, um, you know, that's some good news right there. But wouldn't it be nice to have, you know, a little, little more in the bullpen? Yeah, you know, I, I think right now the problem is there's just – Nothing available. Like if you if, if if you don't happen to to draft and successfully develop 
a, a, a Josh Hader, like like we see, is is one of those elite arms. Um, kind of kind of what Jeff said is, you know, you, you see the people that, that are having their up and down years or like uh, uh, like Mark Melanson, you know, who is very much up and down. And it feels like it feels like uh, Mark Melanson is 100 years old at, at, at this point. Uh, but 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 really, uh, I'll ask you this, Jeff, like if not Hector Neris, then who? I mean, really, there's there's just no inventory like even if the Phillies had prospects to trade that were the best prospects in the whole world there is simply no inventory no I mean look I the ship kind of sailed right I mean in the offseason you, you spruce up your bullpen you bring in Archie Badley he's been hurt you bring in Alvarado uh he has been valuable when he's been able to pitch uh but neither of them are the closer they're both supposed to you know, get the game into Neris's hands. And I always felt like if Neris had a really bad patch or stretch, which he really hasn't yet, then you go to either Bradley or you go to um, Alvarado or if somebody else like a Coonrod or, or, or Brogdon stepped up, then you would have that. But, you know, every team, there's 32 teams, but there's only like one or oldest Chapman or, or there's maybe like three or four guys who have been really good closers for five, six, seven years. I mean, look at, look at within the division, right? The Braves thought they were getting one with Will Smith. He has struggled. You know, the Mets thought the Mets traded one of their biggest chips ridiculously to get, um, to get Edwin Diaz. And that was three years ago. And now he's like, finally their established closer. And I'm still not sure that they completely trust him, but he's pitching a lot better. So you know, everybody's got a Hector Neris other than the two or three teams that have, you know, like you mentioned with Hayter or, or Chapman or anything like that. So that's a thing that maybe come trade deadline time, you're just looking to amplify your bullpen if you can get some arms. And if some guy happens to have a hot hand, which is what you see a lot, then he can become your closer or you just live with what you have. Yeah, like the Trevor Rosenthal, Trevor Rosenthal of last year, right? You know, just, just yep. pitch, pitched like lights out the moment after the trade, but Exactly. And there was somebody that nobody wanted to sign because he was terrible the year before. I mean, it's really the, the up and down. In fact, in fact, maybe you make the case that Hector Neris has been one of the more reliable closers in all of baseball. I mean, looking at those, those percentages in terms of converting saves. Would so you, it's would a you low dare? bar, Frank. <laughs> <laughs> but if it's a low bar, I'm not setting the bar, right? So like, no, I know, I know like that. That's what baseball is right now. Is that, is that correct, Susie? Uh, yeah, you've got a good point. Um, I mean, also, um, I mean, in terms of pitching, Archie Bradley should be coming back soon, right? <laughs> you would hope should you be, hope. but we don't. You know, it's a shame because you those oblique injuries. All you have to do, well, not all you have to do, but all it's prescribed is rest. Well, if you're resting, well, then you got to get back in baseball shape. So it's it's one of those things where you just got to do nothing for several weeks and then try to get back in the game. So. Yeah, the Phillies would seriously benefit from that. So, uh, because even even beyond Hector Neris, three blown saves in one game. I did not know that that was possible. Well, that's the Phillies for you. They they allow you to uh, to understand that the uh, impossible can absolutely be achieved. So yeah, that was a, that was a, listen. That was a terrible, terrible loss. I mean, it was from blown save to blown save to blown save. It obviously, wasn't their best defensive effort. I mean it seemed like all the good from the winning streak just completely like, look, you know, that when a team wins a bunch of games in a row that they're going to lose and it's going to suck, but like you don't have to almost reinvent the wheel on how to lose. Like you don't have to just fall completely flat on your face. You could just lose like five to four, but it's like everything that was going well, 
remember when we did the last podcast, we even said it's kind of weird how the, the Phillies have won three in a row, despite the fact that they only scored like five runs in the entire entire. It's like, so you knew a little bit was just good luck, timing, circumstance, facing the Brewers without Yelich, maybe a little bit helpful there. But it's just, man, all the ugliness that you've seen in Phillies losses this year, all drained into one. Yeah, and Saturday really was, seemed like it was shaping up to, to be perfect, right? Velasquez, one mm-hmm. run in five and a third, right? So that's, 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 you think, oh, wow, this is a gift. Coonrod, Alvarado, Neris, but then all hell breaks loose. Uh, Brogdon gets a blown save. Of course, it, the only run that scored on him was that freebie at second base, which I, I can't stand, but I, I don't know. I don't, I don't want to go off on that now. And then, of course, Eniel De Los Santos ends up giving up four runs, three earned. The one isn't earned because it was that ghost runner or whatever you want to call it. Uh, so, <laughs> so anyway, <laughs> that night, that just seemed like that just seemed like the, the most frustrating loss of the season. Is that fair to say? Right. And then, then I don't know if, you, if, if any of you noticed, like, like Channel 10 even abandoned the game along the way. <laughs> I did notice that. That was funny. <laughs> yeah. I, like, like literally I'm like watching on my phone cause I'm hanging out. I'm hanging out with some friends uh we're fully vaccinated by the way so i'm not being irresponsible but um but yeah so i just had it on my phone and then then like like literally the time for me to get like i guess that commercial break i went home and then put on my tv i'm like where the hell's game like i I see miley cyrus i don't see i don't i don't see hector neris and then uh but i believe believe jojo ramirez had also checked out of that game right to watch a a fight or something like that yeah Yeah, some people people were annoyed at that he's tweeting about a boxing match at the pinnacle of that so it was very very strange very very strange night for the phillies you know i mean if you look at the first nine innings a lot went right until two outs in the ninth but Mm -hmm. it is what it is all right but now but let's, let's get to the next point right because you think okay this is one of the worst losses of the season. We'll be talking about it for years. But then you think, okay, Sunday, national TV game, right? So, so, uh, uh, but Aaron Ola's on the mound, right? So everything will be fine. How'd that go, Susie? You know, not fine. <laughs> uh, I would say, and I think that's a pretty solid take right there. Not fine. So, so Nola with, <laughs> of course, of course, right away. You get the is the is Nola an ace uh, conversation comes up yet again. Now, Marcus Hayes of the Philadelphia Inquirer, he, he jumped on that to, to, to talk about how Nola is not an ace. And uh, he actually has some some stats that he believes is is worthy of explaining why he is not an ace. And check this out. Check this stat out. Mm-hmm. Hayes says since 2019, Nola failed to manage a quality start. In 22 of 54 starts, that's more than 40% of the time. That's not horrible, but that's not an ace. What's an ace? Since 2019, Garrett Cole managed, failed to manage a quality start just seven times in 52 starts. So that's, 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 some, that's the first time I've seen a number that might make me think, hmm. I think this is a game of semantics, to be honest with you, because when you have the, is he, or is he not an ACE question? I think some people have that argument with the idea in mind that there are 32 ACEs that every single team has an ACE, but in reality, there's maybe, I look at it as tiers, right? There's the tier one of major league baseball pitchers to me is a pretty small fraternity. Garrett Cole is in it. Jacob deGrom is in it. 
Uh, you might have, you might want to put Kershaw, Bieber, and um, Scherzer, perhaps. Right now. Scherzer, uh, yeah, Scherzer, you can probably, I mean, he's been a little bit hittable, but he's also in his, in his 30s now, but he's still on any given night can be, can be that dominant. So that's fair. Um, but then you, that, that's like five or six guys, right? And then you kind of get to your next level of really good pitchers who are going to be really good on most nights, but then every once in a while have a couple of games where, where they're hittable. And I think that there's a bunch of guys who are pretty good, but are in that terrain. And, you know, that's where I would put a guy like Aaron Nola, but he's still the best that the Phillies have. He's still their number one star. It doesn't mean you can't get better, but how many teams have one of the top five or six best pitchers in baseball, not 32, but but wouldn't you say, Susie, like, isn't your ace supposed to pick you up after a really bad game like Saturday, right? Isn't isn't that the idea that your ace will will step up in the big occasions? You know, uh, you know, Marcus Hayes says, hey, look, the Phillies would have made the playoffs last season, the last day, if, if Nola just stepped up and gave him a strong start. He didn't do it. Phillies aren't in the playoffs. Yeah, I'm uh, def- that was definitely yeah one of those big games where Nola needed to show up and do what he needed to do. It didn't happen, but I like that we brought up the semantics part because I feel like, yeah, is an ace a spectrum? Like what is an ace? Now we're just like trying to define what exactly it is, but I feel like, yeah, it is like a little more of a, a, like tiers or spectrums, but um, I guess we could debate this for the rest of our lives. Like is you Darvish an ace? I mean, he's really good this year he was good last year, but he also had a couple of years in Chicago where he was terrible. Right. And there are times where he'll take the mound and, and he'll get he'll get hit up a little bit, you know. I think you know the same thing about like a Jack Flaherty or Brandon Woodruff. These are really good pitchers, but every once in a while, you know, they don't get the job done. So they're still really good pitchers, though. And you would take them, and they would be your number one on almost any given outing. You know, Musgrove is a guy who pitched. Uh, you know, you get him out of out of Pittsburgh, so you put a real team around him. Pitches a no hitter. He starts to show, you know, like most former Pirate pitchers, like Cole and. Everybody else, uh, Morton, who leave, they beca- they come into their own and become really good pitchers. Trevor Bauer, another guy, really, really good pitcher who has at times been hit up in his career. So, like th- like I say, there's really only a handful of guys that are – you. every time they go out, you think, man, that's that guy's – we're going to win because that guy's on the mound. And that's your Garrett Cole. That's your Jacob DeGrom. That's your, your Bieber and those teams are great because they have them or, or lucky to have them. Those pitchers are great, but uh, you know, it's not a reason to kind of look at Nola. I, in my, this is me. It's not a reason to give Nola a side eye. You can't make somebody better than what they are. Th- the book on Nola when they drafted him was he was probably the most pro ready guy from that draft. And he made it to the major leagues in, in a hurry. He's never thrown like 99 or hundred. He's always just had really good movement and stuff. He's always seems to be a guy who, needs as much rest as possible. Maybe he's a max effort guy when he's on the mound. Um, so the, I guess the question is when, when you're at the deadline, if you're Dave Dabrowski and the Phillies are in it, are you looking for a better four, you know, after your top three to stabilize your rotation? Or are you looking to land one of the best pitchers in baseball to have that trickle down where Nola then becomes your two and then Wheeler becomes your three and Eflin becomes your four? Well, we saw what you have ha- to give up a whole lot more if you're going to take that approach. Uh, we saw what happened to Ruben Amaro Jr. He was just stacking the aces because fake good pitching wins. Now, I will say this. Scott Lauber, same column as I mentioned before, he mm-hmm. mentioned this today. He says, Nola has been just 
excuse me, has just been overwhelmingly good. Since the beginning of the 2018 season, he has worked at least seven innings while allowing three or fewer earned runs in 31 starts, tied with Garrett Cole and more than only Jacob deGrom, Max Scherzer, and Zach Wheeler. Hmm. So, so there you go. So, so Scott Lauber uh, bringing some sense back into the equation, perhaps, right? So, uh, let me. But Susie, like, if if people say, well, he's not an ace, like, is is that a knock? So again, we're talking semantics, but I mean, the numbers show he's been pretty good, right? Yeah. You know what? I I kind of want to lean towards the he's an ace conversation in all of this, um, but also, I mean, yeah, bad outing on Sunday, not great. Um, but keep in mind, I mean, also. The Braves are good. They haven't been playing to their potential this whole season, but they're good. So like, it's not weird, you know, for this to happen. Like it's very unfortunate, but I think we kind of need to like get ourselves back in check here. So now it's fitting. We, we talk about Reese Hoskins, right? Cause he was on that, that ridiculous hot streak, six home runs in like six days or whatever it was. And now he's back to being ice cold. So when the Phillies scored 12 runs against the Atlanta Braves, he took home a golden sombrero that night, striking out four times, going over five, I believe it was. Not a good night for Reese Hoskins. He's back to striking out a lot again. Uh, is this is this one of those things, Jeff, where you just take the bed with the good, or or Phillies need to do better? Well, a little bit of both. I think it's here. Here's what I think it is. I think it finally enables us to say we know what Reese Hoskins is now. I think for those of us holding out hope that you know, the prior regime, the Kapler regime ruined his mentality, ruined his approach, and that the Girardi regime was going to get him back into a player who was going to be a lot more consistent. It's far-fetched. He's better than when he was going through those really bad, you know, toilsome uh, struggles with, with a couple of years ago. But he's going to always be a streaky player. And on a really good team, I think he's not the two-hole hitter, probably not the four-hole hitter, maybe the six, you know. He batted seventh uh, most recently. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty telling. So I, I just think that we have to come to the recognition at this point that he is what he is. You're seeing Reese Hoskins for who he is. Not a terrible player, a very streaky player, and when those streaks are good, he's going to carry the team sometimes because he's done that. When the streaks are bad, it's going to really stand out like a sore thumb because we've seen that. And that's, that's who Reese Hoskins is. There's been a lot of players, you know, Bryce Harper is a really streaky player, but he's different. Even when he's struggling, he's going to get you on base. He's not going to strike out uh, as much and and flail at pitches. He's going to hit some hard ones and just get out. Uh, And then he's going to go through these torrid streaks, right? Not, not so much this year because Bryce has been fairly consistent, but we've seen that throughout his career, but Reese is different. He's like Mr. Peak, Mr. Valley. And it's always been that way. And I think it's always going to be that way. So Susie, then uh, you know, the Phillies started Brad Miller at first base, uh, try to keep his hot bat in uh, after the golden sombrero to give, I guess, give Reese a day to, to clear his head a little bit, but um, would it be disrespectful? I mean, uh, how are people react if maybe the Phillies started doing that more often against some of the tougher right-handed pitchers? Do you, do you give Brad Miller the start? Uh, Well, I know um, to just like kind of piggyback on the Hoskins stuff. I mean, Joe Girardi said he's not worried about Reese hitting right now. Yeah. I mean, he's been in a little bit of a slump, but he's not concerned. He did. I was listening to an interview with him the other day, but um, I mean, we've got a lot of infielders. I mean, why not? But 
Ugh, is it disrespectful? Yeah, oh, like, like would that would that be would that be a distraction, right? Because you know, would would fans be upset? Like, would would this end up becoming something more than it should be if you if you if you're giving Miller a lot more at bats at first base? Um, yeah, maybe maybe fans would be freaking out, you know. Um, but I mean, I, I'm not too concerned about Hoskins. Yeah, he's in a slump, but I don't know. Here's the thing, Frank. Like, if you play Brad Miller a lot more than you're playing him now, eventually he's going to become Brad Miller. Brad Miller has not been a starter in this league for a long time, right? I mean, he's, he's not even like what Matt Joyce was, who, who had some pretty good years, uh, you know, earlier in his career. He's Brad Miller, you know? So if you start taking him and, and giving him twice as many at-bats or three times as many at-bats, we're going to be sitting here in two or three weeks saying – how did we think that Brad Miller was a better option at first base than, than Reese Hoskins? He's now batting. I mean, let's face it. Miller, Miller was a 30 home run bat. You know, I mean, it was what, four or five, five years ago at this point. I, I don't even, he, he had a 30 home run year. I know he had, a, he did. A, yeah. He, God, he, I forgot about that. Yeah. He so, played, he, he was a starter for the Rays one year at first base, one year at second right, base. Like right. he, he, he was someone who just sort of played himself into playing more. I mean, that's really his story. He wasn't expected to be the starter. Yeah, yeah, I, I guess there's always that chance. Who was the kid that they, they traded for in the outfield like two years ago and had just – it was a Corey Dickerson and everything he did was like gold and, and everybody wanted him to stay, yeah. but he was never going to be more than your fourth outfielder, so you had to let him go. And then I'm sure he's – what is he on, the Marlins? Marlins, now? yeah. And he's probably he's a rotational been, player still, he's right? Been he's been nice, not, but he hasn't yeah. been able to stay healthy. I think that's been the problem. Right. And so I'm just, that's where I, I kind of come in with, with Brad Miller. Is he really going to be your savior? Is he going to be more, more consistent? That's right. He did have a 30, 81 year, but that's such an outlier for his career. Like you look at the rest of his career, 13 home runs, seven, nine, 10, you know, I just don't know that you're really getting anything. You know, his career on base percentage is three seventeen. You know, I, at some point, I think you're just trading names when you, when you take Hoskins out and put Miller in, you might get a spark, for for a little bit and then maybe maybe you try to do that and then that kind of sparks reese to to you know dial in a little more then you get reese back in a little bit more dialed in but at the end of the day you are what you are right i mean you both between both of those guys and, and miller miller will be getting I, w- I guess you'd say he's he really sort of played himself into playing all over he played some left field right field he seemed to be like the super sub in recent weeks but he's not gonna get a lot of time at second base right now because Gene Segura is on fire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mentioned the two hole Segura just took it back. Uh, I don't think he's going to give it up. No. And I mean, look, he's, he's a typically a guy who has started off hot, right. And, and then cooled off weirdly as the, uh, as the warmer weather settles in, he got off to a nice start. Uh, he came back from the injury. What well, the injury was such a bad time for him because he was playing so well, but then he picked right up McCutcheon now starting to hit a little bit, showing some power. I kind of have this, I don't know, premonition that, the, that they're going to start hitting a little bit better because you've seen some of that already. And I expect Hoskins to kind of go back toward the, the other way in the streak. So, uh, you know, th- this is going to be a really interesting stretch of games for the Phillies. What do they have? They have the Blue Jays and then they have um, who's after the Blue Jays, Frank? So, so the Phillies aren't at the Blue Jays till the weekend, right? No, so, that's right. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's who they finish with. Um so it's a so, nine game. It's a nine game road road trip in all. Okay, mm-hmm. so uh, the Phillies will be um, starting tonight's series in D.C. against the Nationals. Nationals, right? And then right. Uh, Thursday uh, they'll 
play a day game and then head down to Dunedin where they will. I, I think they're going to have a great series there, by the way, because I, I, I think the players love being in Clearwater. They're going to do all the fun things they like to do on Clearwater, in Clearwater, right. and I, I think they're going to have a big weekend. Right. So you got three against the Nats, three in Dunedin, and then three against the Marlins, okay? So to me, this is a really good – you would love to see them be at least five and four. You know, I mean, I know that's, that's only one game over 500, but uh, the Nationals, I don't think Soto is back for them yet, is he? So here's the deal with Soto activated on Tuesday. So that was a left shoulder strain mm-hmm. and he's, he's, he's kind of struggled since he's come back. So he's kind right. of working off that injury. So, so maybe the Phillies so will naturally he'll just catch fire with the, when the Phillies come to town, right? Like Freddie Freeman just did. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, Je- Jessica Camarado, if you remember her, uh, she writes, yeah. she covers the nationals for MLB.com and she, she just uh, wrote a piece today. It's basically saying it's just a matter of time because he's going to be his old self any minute. Like, you got to think sure. that, right? Right, Suze? Oh, definitely. Of course. Um, yeah, I mean, is this going to be the series, though, where the Phillies finally win a road series? <laughs> Would be yeah, nice. Phil- Phillies, Phillies have indeed struggled on the road. You know, it's the Nationals. Uh, the, by the way, the Phillies aren't, aren't seeing Max Scherzer. They will get Patrick Corbin. So, um Hopefully the Phillies can take advantage of some of their, 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 they're facing Josh Fetty tonight. Uh, John Lester tomorrow. Who's John Lester these days. That's, that's kind of, that's still kind of remains to be seen so far. He's 0 and 1, 2, 7, 0 ERA. Phil, like Philly's got to take the series, right? Yeah. I think you're getting the nationals at a time where they're vulnerable. So you absolutely have to be able to get, I mean, not that the Phillies aren't vulnerable, but uh, I do think this is a good opportunity to catch the nationals and then go, as you mentioned, it's kind of a, a good thing to go and play the Blue Jays. Yeah, the Blue Jays are just kind of like them. They're hovering around 500. I think they're one game over right now. I don't know how the, the matchups will align, but they'll be comfortable being in clear water. That's, that's why, you know, you look at these six games and think anything worse than three and three is just a bad showing. Like they, sh- they I almost like to see them come back for, of course, would like to see them come four and two. I think that's a, a fair expectation if this team is actually going to, you know, prove to us that they're a decent team and better than we think. Yeah, there, there's, there's, I, I think the Phillies could sweep the Blue Jays. You watch, you watch. Clearwater is a magical place, right? <laughs> <laughs> and then they get to go it back. It is a wonderful place. They get to go back two weeks later because they face the Rays in St. Pete. So, right. Um, so I'm heading down for, for one of those. So uh, any excuse to go to Clearwater is a good excuse, right? So, so I, I'm going to consider these home games for the Phillies uh, against the AL East down in the Tampa Bay. Uh, but. <laughs> But yeah, so so this this will be telling. I mean, the bottom line is the Phillies got to win on the road. That like uh, as Susie was just saying, they they just they if they want to be taken seriously, if they want to make the playoffs, got to win on the road, right? Totally. Not agree. to make it about the Rockies, but the Rockies this whole season have won two games on the road. So. So they're right where the Phillies are. Oh, they're even worse. <laughs> <laughs> must have been pretty tough the other night when Nolan Arenado hit a home run against them. That must have been pretty difficult. I would think broke my heart really hurt really stung meanwhile meanwhile, the rest of the league is salivating on who they can acquire from the Rockies and where where Trevor's story will go and yeah well sign me up for Tapia right now we talked about him last podcast I love over 300 you guys are Tapia guys now I love to see it yeah Uh, well he has a pulse and he can play center field so automatically I'm I'm you know (laughs) start 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 the campaign now right (laughs) exactly Uh, 
to maybe maybe Dombrowski isn't isn't aware of him yet. Maybe he needs to be. So that, that'll be your job. By the way, one more one one final thought before we um, before we close. Matt Breen of the Inquirer today had a uh, had a piece basically saying that hey now now could be the time the Phillies trade for Chris Bryant. I remember over the years there was lots of talk about that. Even Bryce Harper said, "Well, no, 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 you can't, you can't block Alec Bohm." But let's face it, Bohm can play other positions. Mm-hmm. Uh, Chris Bryant can play other positions. Is he the type of piece that you want to see the Phillies get? I'd be all for it. I mean, what am I giving up? That, well, that's 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 the question. But let's I'm face still it, all for it. <laughs> you know, a trade a trade deadline trade for Chris Bryant is not the same as two off seasons ago where you have two, you know, you're, you're trading for two years of control or something like that. Right. Exactly, so exactly. the price comes down, um, you know, he's probably going to be a free agent. So the Cubs might be inclined to trade him if they're not, if they're not winning. So um, I kind of, I kind of like that. Yeah. I'm not a big fan of the Phil's farm system in general. So I'm fine with trading some guys for a guy like Chris Bryant, you know, if the, if the Phillies even have enough guys to trade for him, but I will say this, like my my future plan for the Phillies would have to be do what you got to do now to get a guy like that. But at some point, you're going to have to make moves, maybe even next offseason. You're probably going to say goodbye to somebody who's pretty good to start to replenish this uh, this farm system because it's bad. In fact, last offseason, I was saying I wouldn't be really disappointed if one of Dabrowski's first moves was to trade Reese Hoskins. Now he had the, the elbow thing, so maybe there wasn't demand. But if they could get a couple of prospects and you know, for Reese that I thought it would and move Alec over to first base, they should do it, but it's going to be tough, but you're going to have to say goodbye to it. You just can't keep loading up your team with, with high price free agents, the way the Phillies have done. You have to start developing guys. And there's a painful part of that process. And that's usually involves, you know, selling off somebody who's pretty good to get those prospects in return. And that's what it'll come down to. Well, you know, if you're talking Aaron about, term, I mean, I'm serious. Yeah. It could be anybody who's good. I mean, you got sustainability. Basically. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 it's one of those things where the, you don't want a perennial 500 Phillies team either. Right. I mean, uh, I think that might drive fans even it's, it's just, by the way, just a shame that the last rebuild just failed completely. Right. And miserably. Right. I mean, absolutely. They, I think that's fair to say the, the Hamels trade was a disaster. I mean, it was a, just an unmitigated disaster as far as what they got in return. And I wouldn't be surprised if closer to Ju- the trade deadline, if the Phillies look like a team that's like they are now a game under a game over, not good. If you were having these discussions, like do you trade Aaron to a competitive team and try to get what you, you can get, you know, you got Wheeler, you got Eflin, maybe you can quickly develop a piece, but you're going to have to make some really difficult decisions about the future of this team. If this current team is not going to be that good. And there's still time for that to be decided. Right. So Listen, we could talk all day, but but Susie's got to go pack, so we we better shut up now, right? She needs so. to get back to the game because the last time she was at a game is the last time the Phillies won. Oh my gosh, I wish I was going down to DC. I'm going to Hartford for the Yard Goats home opener. Same thing. Same thing. Same thing. I'll send all of my good vibes to DC though, and hopefully that's enough. Are they playing Reading by any chance? No, I wish they were. Okay. Uh, no, they're playing uh, Portland. Okay. Like well. Affiliate. Well, well, go, uh, go, go, uh, scout the Sea Dogs for the the next Phillies prospect that they acquire and trade uh, when they sell off Aaron Nola as Jeff wants them to. No, no, no. Well, <laughs> we could we could talk about this more later. We don't want to get Jeff in trouble yet, right? Because you know we'll 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 get some backlash, I think, for, for from some for that, right? But oh, I'm sure, I'm sure. But it's a reality that we might have to face. 
Well, the fans the pa- don't like reality. <laughs> no, they don't. I understand that. <laughs> for the Powder Blue Podcast, Frank Close, Jeff Mosher, Susie Hunter. We didn't talk center field this time. It's a great show. Catch you <laughs> next time.